Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut welcomes you to this edition of Shi'ar Jeshub. Let's join Pastor Greg Scalzo as he continues the Heavenly Authority series. Let's uh, proceed to try to finish up this section on Solomon in the Heavenly Authority series. Last time we had read from 1 Kings chapter 4 how God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding, that he excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, that his fame was in all the surrounding nations, how he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005, and how he spoke of trees and plants and animals and birds and insects and fish, and he had science and botany and biology as studies, and how men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They flocked to hear these words, this understanding that Solomon had in so many areas, in music, in literature, in science, in the way life works, the principles of how we live our lives. People from all over the civilized world came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, a couple of times back, we saw Solomon's dedication of the temple, and we won't go back uh, and review that. There's one interesting aside in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. You read how they bring the ark into the temple for the dedication. Remember, the ark was in the city of David uh, in a tabernacle, a tent that David had erected at Zion when he brings it up the second time the proper way. That's the time when he's dancing before. The Levites are called out. They carry it the proper way. They bring it up respectfully. And he places it in this temporary tent. And remember also the tabernacle, the old tabernacle with the tabernacle furnishings are, are up at Gibeon, which is just north of the border with Judah into Benjamin. And that's where Solomon has gone Previously, that's where he had the sacrifices and the offerings. That's where God appeared to him in the dream. Solomon requested the sermon to be able to judge his people because he was young. And then after that, he goes back and worships at Jerusalem. So they're bringing in now the ark from the dwelling, the tent David prepared in Jerusalem. They're bringing the tabernacle items that are up in Gibeon. And obviously, Solomon has made new tabernacle, grander tabernacle, furnishings. And we read in chapter 8 and verse 1, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, Ethanim is the uh, mid-September to mid-October. The feast in that month would be the start of the civil uh, or governmental calendar, not the religious calendar. It's the seventh month on the religious calendar. 
and this would be uh, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of the Jewish New Year. So uh, in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month on the religious calendar, the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast. Verse 3, so all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark, which is the way they're supposed to. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle, the priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. Now remember the mercy seat on the ark has the two cherubim facing each other. But Solomon builds these huge cherubim out of wood and then covered with gold. I believe they were about 15 feet high. Two of them in the most holy place. And in that spot they place under their wings they place the ark of the covenant. And the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. Remember the two poles on either side that they used to carry the ark. They're not supposed to touch the ark. If you touch the ark, you're in a lot of trouble. So they had the poles to carry the ark with. Verse 8, and here's an interesting passage. The poles extended so that the ends or the heads, the knobs of the poles, could be seen from the holy place. So there's the veil in front of the most holy place, and you can't see the ark but the poles are extended out that you can see the ends of the poles if the priest is standing in the holy place looking toward the most holy place in front of the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from the outside. Now you have a door going into the holy place, so if you're outside that door, you, you don't have a perspective to be able to see the ends of those poles. But they could not be seen from the outside. Then the, the end of verse 8, and they are there to this day. And they are there to this day. There's a similar passage in 2 Chronicles, the sister passage to this. Uh, 2 Chronicles 5, 9. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from the outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. Again, that expression, and they are there to this day. And a lot of times we'll have conversations about the ark. Those poles are there to this day. At the very least, you're talking about the poles, and very possibly you're speaking about the whole setup, the poles and the ark being there to this day. First and second kings were written as one book, were compiled, I should say, as one book. The division we have is an artificial division. When they started to copy the scroll from the Hebrew to the Greek, because the Greek puts in the vowels, it was too large for one scroll, and they started to make divisions at that point. But the original Hebrew was one scroll. Same with first and second chronicles. It was one scroll, compiled as one scroll. Kings, first and second kings, the second kings ends with the time of the Babylonian captivity. 
And the question always arises, well, who compiles these books? Who compiled the book of First and Second Kings? Who compiled the book of First and Second Chronicles? There are references throughout to the court records, the chronicles of the kings, that obviously some of the information as far as years and lengths of reigns came directly from the court records. But there's a lot of stuff in those books that the kings really didn't want to hear because it was very critical of the way they ruled. And the clear answer, there were prophets from the time of Samuel on down, uh, Nathan, Gad, there are all different prophets that are unnamed who kept records at that time. And then at the time of the Babylonian captivity, they were the final compilation, placing it all together was done. And traditionally, many people have said that Jeremiah was the one that compiled First and Second Kings could have been a prophet with Jeremiah who might have done it. Uh, many people feel that Ezra was the one that compiled First and Second Chronicles. If the writing is saying, and they are there to this day, meaning at the time of compilation, at the time of the Babylonian captivity, then all these different theories, such as Shishak, we're going to we went ahead and spoke quickly about the Egyptian king Shishak, who at the time of Solomon's son Rehoboam invaded Jerusalem, even though Solomon had made a, a contract with Pharaoh's daughter, it only lasted so many years, then Shishak comes, invades Jerusalem, and takes all the, quote, treasures from the house of the Lord and the treasures from the king's palace, and hence you get films like um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the ark is hidden someplace in Egypt. Uh, or the, the tremendously speculative theory that this Queen of Sheba has some type of child, illegitimate child with Solomon, and he, um, he understands Solomon has gone astray, so he comes in, he steals the real ark and replaces it with a phony ark, and hence the idea that the ark is someplace in Ethiopia, and the royal family of England goes to visit the ark of the covenant in Ethiopia. There's a lot of theories that have the ark going out of Jerusalem. But this scripture tells you can't move the ark without the poles. You can't touch the ark. And they are there to this day. Even if it's a contemporary statement by one of the prophets around the time, near to the time of Solomon, and not a statement from the compiler, Jeremiah, whatever the prophet was at the time of the Babylonian captivity, still we're certainly going past this hypothetical period where all these theories have taken the Ark of the Covenant out of Israel to Africa someplace, because you're speaking historically, this is telling you about Solomon, what happened in Solomon's reign after the fact, so that they would know to make the statement, and they are there to this day. Those theories, in my mind, just kind of fall apart. The Ark was there to that day. Now, Jeremiah will talk about a time when the people won't even seek the Ark. And we have that really now, right? We, we seek the true ark of the covenant in Christ Jesus. He is the ark. He is the dwelling place of God, the law of God. But it's just so interesting that in two places this statement is made, and I can't help but wonder if it's there to this day, if deep down underneath, in other words, to avoid it being taken, knowing what happened with Assyria to the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom feeling weak in Judah, the priests, the Levites, somehow tunneled and brought down 
the ark so that when that temple was destroyed, many scholars believe that when Nebuchadnezzar burned uh, the temple down, that the ark was destroyed with it. But I can't help but wonder if it's there to this day and it's underneath. And that's why the Muslims are digging so violently under the ground. They're not supposed to touch all those hidden tunnels that are all sealed up and they're trying to dig inside to see what's there. It's probably right underneath the original spot. It's down underneath. And I, I mean, this has really nothing to do with the Heavenly Authority series, but it's just such an interesting point that this having two places in Scripture tell us, and it's there to this day. So I would suspect at least up to the time of uh, the Babylonian captivity, and if Ezra compiled Chronicles, it would be at the return. It's there to this day, hidden probably down. Um, the book of Maccabees, I believe, has Jeremiah hiding the ark up in the mountains, but the book of, of uh, Maccabees is not canon. It's an interesting book. I don't think the people that wrote it wrote a, were purposely writing a bad book. It's just not inspired. This is all an interesting aside to the authority series, but um, you wonder what would happen if in digging they come across that ark. What would that mean in the way world affairs will go? What would it mean for that dome of the rock what happens if one of the diggers touches that ark? What would happen at that site? What would the, the Orthodox Jews do if they found out the ark is really down there and there's proof of it? Um, it would set world affairs uh, in an uproar. You can find more Bible study programs on the Shi'ar Jeshub website at www shiarjeshub.org You'll also find commentaries written by Pastor Greg. That's S-H-E-A-R hyphen J-A-S-H-U-B dot O-R-G Please join us next time for Shiar Jeshub and may the Lord Jesus bless you as you serve Him.